Amen. I, I, help, I hope that these songs have helped get us in the right frame of mind. That song we just sung, Near My God to Thee, is, is one of my all-time favorites. It's a great reminder, and I feel we need those reminders every single day, um, every moment of every single day, because even a day goes by where things are going good, and then we lose track of what we should be doing and lose focus of what we should be focusing on. And, and that song is a, a great reminder of what our focus should be on as believers, to be nearer to God every day, every moment of every day. Uh, there is nothing greater than for us to desire than to be as close as possible to God as we can be. Uh, the craziness of life that we're dealing with and the uncertainty of one situation from the next, there is no greater place to be, as the psalmist says in Psalm 91, to be dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty, to be nearer, my God, to thee. So I pray that as we've sung a few songs and thought about what that means, that we're really thinking about what the message of those songs has for us today. Uh, this morning, as we look at God's Word, we're going to be looking at several verses from two chapters of Scripture, both uh, from the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 this morning, as we look at a sermon that I've titled, The House God Wants. The House God Wants. 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, as we highlight a few verses here uh, in these two chapters. The House God wants. For the last several weeks, we've been discussing the importance of us as believers being temples of the Holy Spirit. Believers are the dwelling place of God here on earth. And this morning, we will take a look at what God is looking for in a house, what kind of a dwelling he is expecting to take up residence in. A noted Baptist preacher named R.G. Lee once preached an excoriating sermon against sin. He didn't pull any punches at all. A, a lady, after the fact, whose feathers had, been, feathers had been ruffled, met him at the door and said, I didn't appreciate that sermon one bit. And Dr. Lee re reportedly replied, The devil didn't either, so classify yourself, he said. Classify yourself. Classifications are not always flattering, but often necessary to give us a picture and a true picture of where we stand, especially with regard to spiritual matters. In a broad sense, the Bible teaches us that there are three classifications of people here on earth. In the two chapters that we'll be looking at this morning, 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, Paul identifies three different classifications. He defines, defines the natural man, the spiritual man, and the carnal man. And we're going to take a closer look at each of these three classifications. Now, each of these offer us a good picture of the different dwellings that we're offering God. Now, obviously, God is not going to dwell in each of these three, but what house is he looking for? And we'll take a look at the three different dwellings that we, in essence, are offering God. And classifications are important because they help us gain an understanding of where our faith begins. In the same way that no one truly realizes his need for salvation until he understands that he is a lost sinner, we cannot expect to mature and grow until we first recognize where we are today in this journey of life. What classification do we fall into right now as we're marching through this, this life? You have to know that you are in one of these categories when in reality, um, so, so we know how to approach and where to help us start. Um, you may have thought that you were in one category, whether the natural man, the spiritual man, or the carnal man. You may have thought that you were in one when in reality you find out you're actually in a completely different category. And all this time you've wondered why you haven't seen so much growth, why you haven't been exponentially growing closer and nearer to God as the songs suggest like you should have. Knowing your classification, knowing what category you fall into is absolutely crucial. But I need to make a disclaimer first. There are many people who don't care to know their classification. They have no desire. They're completely content where they are, what they're doing, how life is going. They don't want to be bothered by classifications. They don't want to know whether they fall into the natural man or the spiritual man or the carnal man. They're completely satisfied where they are. 
Some people show up to church and act like they want to be here. But the truth is, they tune out the moment I start preaching. This message is for you. Even if you don't want to hear it, even if you don't care to find out what classification or what category you fall into, you need this more than ever. Some of us already know which of these three categories we fit into. Some of us know, but don't want to admit it. Now, my goal is to show you the three categories that are, right now, the Bible defines. And the kind of house that God is looking to take up residence in. My goal is not to make you feel miserable about, miserable about who you are and how you've lived your life. I will say, though, that if you start feeling miserable over the course of the next 45 minutes or so, that is to your own benefit. And that is to your own good. If you've been doing something wrong your entire life, wouldn't you want to know? So if you start feeling miserable over the next half hour, 45 minutes or so because you're being convicted because you thought you were the spiritual man but you are in fact the carnal man or you're worse, the natural man and you're just finding out today, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord you're finding out today because now you can do something about it and not just think that you're perfectly set and you don't need to change anything but now you know what you should be working on. So all this time you thought you were right. Today you're finding out you're wrong. You're welcome. And I say that kind of in jest but in seriousness as well. If you've been living your life thinking that you are all set, that thinking you're all that you need to be as a Christian, and today you find out that there is many things that need to be worked on because where you thought you were spiritual, you are in fact carnal. That is still an incredible blessing for you to be aware of that and know that things need to change. It's my job, it's not my job rather, to make you feel good. It's my job to tell you the truth. As we look at three different types of classifications, we will point out the differences and get a clear picture as to what category we fall into. And if it's found out that there is something out of line with the house or the dwelling that we're providing for God, may God show us what needs to be done in order to get our spiritual house in order. So let's first look at the natural man. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. As we take a look at the first man that the Apostle Paul identifies as the natural man. The natural man. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man is called natural because he is everything that he is and everything that he's received from birth. And nothing more. He is everything that he was born with and nothing has been added to it. He is natural. He is born into the natural world and he resembles the world in which he was born into. He may have been born well physically, maybe even received many admirable traits, admirable qualities, but he is still a natural man. He may be smart, he may be intellectual, he may be witty, he may be charming, he may be outwardly moral and a whole host of good things that in the eyes of the world we're looking for. But he is still a natural man. There's a good possibility that the natural man may also be religious. The natural man may have a good job, may run his own business, may be a good humanitarian, may volunteer to help out those that are needy, may even attend a good church, but he is still a natural man because the natural man has never been born again by the grace of God. And as a result, the natural man, even though he's alive and has a pulse, he is spiritually dead. The natural man has only been born once, and thus, regardless of how good he may be in the eyes of the world, how great of a humanitarian he may be, he is spiritually dead, and he is on his way to hell because he is only natural. We know the natural man is dead based on several factors. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 22, where the Bible says, In Adam all die. We mentioned that at the very moment of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden, that he died three ways. He died immediately in his spirit, he died progressively in his soul, and he died eventually in his body. Spiritual death is the separation of the spirit of God from the spirit of man. 
God moved out of Adam. So how does this apply to us today? How does this apply to us right now? Since every person born after Adam receives Adam's sin nature, then we are born without the Spirit of God. We're born dead. We're born spiritually dead like our representative Adam once he sinned. God made Adam and Eve in his image. But that image has since been marred by sin. And that is why when the Lord saves us, he is daily forming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Human beings today are born, are more born, if you can look at it this way, are more born in the image of Adam than they are in the image, image of God. What I mean by that is that we look more like sinners than we do like saints. And let's be honest, when you take a look around in the world and see so much of the wickedness that is just running rampant, it's pretty easy to see that we, as human beings, resemble more our earthly father, Adam, than we do our heavenly father, God. We are created in the image of God. Don't mistake me on that. But since the day that God created us perfectly in his image, we have done such damage to deface his perfect creation with our sin. There is a lot, a lot that we need to do to reflect the perfect image of God that we were originally created in. There is a lot that we've tolerated. There is a lot that we've compromised. There is a lot that we've just allowed to come into our lives, to come into our churches, where we have just defaced what God has created and made perfect and made beautiful, and we've gotten ruined and made a mess of things. In our Sunday school hour, we talked about how the Corinthian church was just a mess of a church, one problem after the next. Each chapter seems to be dealing with multitudes of problems within this church. And we like to think, man, man, what is wrong with this church? How do they have so many problems? What is wrong with the people there? And then we almost look in the mirror and think, this is us. You know, we're quick to look at other churches and point out the problems at the church down the street or the church that's mentioned here in scripture and thinking that you know we have it all together here at Latham Bible Baptist Church fortunately for you guys you're in a perfect church you're in a perfect church turn to the person next to you and say it's not a perfect church I can't hear you it's not a perfect church you know why because you're in it I'm in it. If there was a perfect church, the moment we came into it, we'd ruin it. Every single one of us. You know why? Because none of us are perfect. I am not perfect. We all fall short of God's perfection and we ruin things. We allow our opinions to get in our way. We allow our own ideas to get in our way. We allow our own hobby horses to get in our way. We, we like to see things done a certain way. And if someone new comes in and starts doing things another way, it's always been done this way. How many times have you heard that? Over and over, whether it's right or wrong, this is the way things are done here. We've been doing it this way since 1972. Go ahead and check to see that was the day that I became a member here at this church. It is not going to change until the day that I breathe my last breath because this is my job. This is how things are going to be done. You know what? Sometimes change is good. Just because we've been doing things traditionally for so many years doesn't mean they're right doesn't mean that they're biblical. And oftentimes we get so set in tradition that we forget that God's word actually has called us to do something different. And we hold tradition higher than we hold God's word. And we look at other churches as the problem and never consider that we're probably the biggest problem there is. Oh, sure, you know, we're, we're preaching the gospel. We're making sure that the word of God is the Faith is the source of faith and practice in, in what we do here and what we stand for. Look at our constitution. It is sound in, in what it proclaims and what it stands for. But the manner in which we live our lives from day to day, it gives you a whole different impression. And the things that we hold to outside of this church and outside of this building tells you a whole different picture as to what we're actually saying that we believe here in this church. So the problem may not be as far away as you think, but more closer to home. We're created in the image of God. But what a mess we've made of that image. What a mess we've made. There's a lot that we need to do to be working on reflecting the perfect image of God that we are originally created in. And I, I, I don't point any fingers. You know, they say you point a finger, you've got three or four pointing back at you. I'm just as guilty. I, for that reason, I will never show you my bank account, my bank statement. Um, it's not that bad. 
But there are certain things that, that we don't like to show, right? Because there are certain areas that we know we, which we struggle with. There are certain things that we value higher of importance than the word of God, than living for God. And it shows. It may not show for an hour or two a week as you can put on a nice suit and a nice tie and a nice dress and, and come and look the part and at least give off the impression that you are that perfect image of God here in church and at home. But the reality is there's a lot that we need to be working on. What we're seeing more and more are people that are spiritually dead. This spiritual death is something that we inherited from Adam. But it does not mean that every single human is outwardly wicked or inwardly wicked. One person's lifestyle may not be as corrupt as that of someone who seems more wicked. But the point is that if you are the natural man, it doesn't matter how bad or good you are in the eyes of the world, you're dead. You're dead. You could be the greatest humanitarian to ever live. But if you're a natural man, if you don't know Christ personally, if you've never been saved by the grace of God, how good you are in the eyes of the world means nothing at all to God. He's not going to look on your collective body of effort and say, well, you know what? I know this person never came to faith and trusted my son, Jesus Christ. But would you take a look at the collective work that he was able to do? He ran a soup kitchen where he was feeding hundreds of people every single week. He volunteered at this clothing drive. He did this and he did that. And he was doing all sorts of things to be a benefit to Humanity. God is not going to, you know, look the other way and say, you know what, based on your works, I'm going to bring you in. The Bible makes it very clear that even the good, even the, the most best things that we can do, all the good works that we could do in the eyes of the world, he says, in the eyes of God, they're nothing but foolishness. They're nothing but filthy rags. Because everything we do is stained by sin. Everything we do is, is ultimately for, for self-glorification, for self-pleasure. And if it's not done out of a mindset to please and glorify God, God's not interested in it. It means nothing to him. The natural man, as good as he may be in the eyes of the world, is spiritually dead at the end of the day. Every single person in Adam, they go through the same process and they, they're cut from the same mold, if you will. Even if some are more moldier than others, we all come to the same. And based on the fact that the natural man is dead spiritually, he is therefore blind to the spiritual world. Look again, 1 Corinthians 2, but look at verse 11. He's blind to the spiritual world. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. And again, verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. You see, it's not as if this spiritual blindness came later in life, after the natural man spent some time alive spiritually. Every person is born now spiritually dead, and thus they're all in need of being saved. Every one of us are born into this world needing salvation. And it's not a matter of what church we go to that's going to bring us that salvation. It's not a matter of whether or not our parents were saved or if our grandparents were saved and they brought us to church and told us about God. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally as your own Lord and Savior, you're going to hell. And that's the truth of it. And if you're just finding that out today, praise the Lord that you know that while you're still alive and breathing and there's an opportunity for you to change that and to come to salvation in Jesus Christ and to know you're secure in Him forever. He's made it very clear. Everyone that is born in Adam is dead. They're born this way. So the natural man cannot see, he cannot understand the things which can only be seen and understood through the power of the Holy Ghost because the natural man doesn't have the Holy Spirit living within him. That's what it's saying here in verse 14. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. It used to annoy me to great lengths when witnessing to someone and sharing with them the joy of my salvation and them not equally being joyful. A lot of people don't understand the good news because they don't even know that there's bad news. A lot of people don't appreciate what Christ has done because they don't understand their need for Christ. They think they're okay. They think because of the church they attend, they're going to be good. 
They think because of who their parents were, their grandparents were, they're going to be good. They think because of what they know about God in their minds, but don't believe in their heart that they're still good. I've had people tell me, oh, you know, that, that's good for you, but I don't need that. You may need that, but I've, I've got my own religion that's good enough for me. When people think they are good enough on their own, the things of God become complete foolishness to them. Why would I need that? I'm all set with what I have and, and what I believe. Why would I need the things of God if I believe that I'm completely secure on my own? Why would I need to trust in a Savior if my body of work is good enough in my mind to get me to heaven? The old adage is really true where you have to get someone lost before you can get them saved. A person who doesn't really think he is lost is never going to see the need to trust in a Savior. And thus, the natural man will never have a real appreciation for what Christ has done for him. This doesn't mean that a natural man cannot enjoy a religious service or enjoy listening to religious music or enjoy the company of believers. The natural man can appreciate all this. He can appreciate the beauty of God's creation all around him, the sound of biblically inspired music. He may even enjoy listening to a man of God eloquently divide the word of truth. He may receive it all with, with warmth and comfort. He may shake his hands with people in church just like someone might warm themselves in front of a, a warm fire on a cold winter night. The natural man may do all of this and yet not believe in the message of Jesus Christ in his heart. The natural man doesn't surrender himself to Jesus Christ and his finished work. The natural man will often convince himself that all of these religious activities and these services that he may be a part of are all going to bode well for him once this life is over. Hey, I attended faithfully for 10 years. That should be in my favor. And Satan knows this. And that's why Satan loves religion. Satan has become a master at leading people to hell from the pews of churches, more so than from the gutters of the streets. When you look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, the position of the natural man is further emphasized. Look at chapter 1 and verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1.18. As we get an idea of the mindset of the natural man, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, and to them that perish would be the natural man. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The heart of the gospel message is foolishness, the Bible says, to the natural man. I've known unbelievers who have said that they enjoy the message of Christmas and everything that comes with it, but have no desire to believe in Christ for themselves. There's something about the Christmas season. All the Christmas lights, the many decorations that we put up, Christmas trees, giving of gifts, the nativity scenes, candlelight services. I know unbelievers who cannot miss the candlelight service. It's part of their routine. It's what makes Christmas complete for them. They've done it. They've been to the candlelight service in the church. The gospel message has been preached, and it's gone in one ear and right out the other. But they've done everything that's making their Christmas season complete. The two most attended services throughout the year, Christmas? No. Mother's Day. Easter's right there behind that. But Christmas and Mother's Day, two most attended services. Many children want to please their mothers, their grandmothers, so they'll take them to church on Mother's Day. But on Christmas, many people have come to accept that attending that Christmas candlelight service is what you do to just make that Christmas season complete. The message of the gospel is brought forth. Maybe they listen, maybe they don't. They don't take it to heart. Because to the natural man, the things of the Spirit of God are foolishness unto him, even the preaching of the gospel. The same is true about Easter, which is right there, number third, number three in line. When we preach about the cross of Christ, as it says again in verse 18 of chapter 1, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. People hear the message, but continue living their lives almost unaffected, completely indifferent to the word of God. The sad truth is that for many unsaved people, the idea of being saved is completely unnatural. Many people have no desire for heaven because they've grown so accustomed to life as they know it here. 
I've known people who seem to live each day with a cloud of misery that follows them every step that they take. There's always issues going on. I know several families, entire families, that even as they have moved out and siblings have moved out, there's like a cloud that follows them everywhere they go. Misery just accompanies them in every place that they are. Sometimes out of state, they're on vacation, and you know something's going to happen to these people. This is what we see with those who are, are so accustomed to life as they know it. So much so that when the sun shines through the darkness of that misery that has been clouding over them for so long, it's almost painful for them. I've counseled people. I've sat across dining room table with people and and gone through all the areas in their lives that need to get changed. And they've sought me out for counsel and said, Pastor, we need to do something. We know there are problems in our lives. We know specifically what the problems are. We need you to show us biblically what needs to be done, how these changes need to be changed. And we sit down and sat across the dinner table with them and, and gone over what needs to change and how they need to change it. And they go home and they do everything they've done from the beginning. And they come back and say, it didn't work. You didn't do anything. And you expected the different results. That's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing repetitively and yet expecting something different to come. We do this all the time. The natural man does this all the time. And to the point where when something good happens, it's painful to them. They've become so accustomed to the misery that this is what life is. This is the normalcy of life. That when it isn't a day that's cloudy and overcast and the sun is actually able to break through, they're out of their element. They've accepted that their lot in life is misery and and moments of levity actually bring them pain. They feel more comfortable when the problems are mounting and life is all out of source. They feel as if peace and finding that stability in God isn't natural. Therefore, heaven is not something that really appeals to the natural man. Why would the natural man want to live in a place forever where he is always uncomfortable? Because to the natural man, being in peace and being in stability is uncomfortable to him. So heaven is just completely backwards. Why would I want to be there? This is what I'm used to. This is what normal is like for me. As ironic as it sounds to the natural man, heaven is more hell than it is heaven. The natural man has no appreciation for the things of God, but he also has no comprehension for the things of God. Look again at what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Imagine someone giving you a brand new phone. They give you a brand new phone, but none of the buttons work on it, and you can't even turn it on. You are not able to make a phone call. You're not able to send a text message. You're not able to even hook up your email to get your email on it. You literally can't do anything with it. It is nothing more than a paperweight to you. The same is true with the natural man because he may hear all of the right messages. He may be in the right group. He may be under the right teaching. But never fully understands the message. The natural man has no bearing on spiritual matters because they are only spiritually discerned. In John chapter 3, Jesus spoke to an extremely well-educated person named Nicodemus. But Jesus told him that all of his vast knowledge, everything that he knew, meant nothing and was useless unless he was born again. When I talk with a natural man about the gospel and he he responds to me by saying, I don't see it the same way you do. I don't argue with him. That's the answer I expect to get, right? He can't see. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. He cannot comprehend these things. So when he tells me, I don't see it the same way you do, I don't argue with him, because such things are only spiritually discerned. Do we get upset for the blind man because he can't see? Hey, just open your eyes and see what's in front of you for crying out loud. No. Our job as believers is very simple. 
Our job as believers is to bear witness of Christ and then allow Christ to be, to be the one to bring the increase. As we present God's truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of those who call upon him. The natural man is bound to the world with just adds to the tragedy of life apart from God. And since the natural man has no appreciation for the things of God, he basically lives like an animal. Think about how animals live. Animals live completely for self-gratification and for just a very materialistic view of life. There is no thought about the miracle of Christ and the blessings that come from a life lived in him to the natural man. And it is truly sad because the natural man misses out on so much that life has to offer and obviously the eternal life that is found in Christ alone. So that's a glimpse into the natural man. But notice the second man that Paul tells us about here, the spiritual man. Now look back at verse number 12 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as we take a look at the spiritual man. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now Paul lists a couple of marks, identifiable marks of the spiritual man. I want to point out a few of these. First, he says the spiritual man lives by the spirit of God. The spiritual man lives by the Spirit of God. It's not rocket science, but the spiritual man is spiritual because he has received the Spirit of God. The spiritual man is saved. He's been born again, and any way you want to put it, he is a new creation in Christ. He was once a natural man because that's how every one of us are born after Adam, but has been transformed by the grace of God into something that is now supernatural. It's not that the natural man eventually becomes spiritual over time, but that those natural men who believe on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior receive the Holy Spirit in their hearts immediately. It's not just that our sins are forgiven. There is so much more to it than just having forgiveness from our sins. Forgiveness is necessary. But forgiveness lays the groundwork for salvation, which is made official through the Holy Spirit taking up residence in your heart. Salvation isn't even just God saving man from earth and bringing him to heaven one day. Believers are destined for heaven, but heaven is more a byproduct of our salvation, if you want to look at it that way. Salvation begins by getting God into our sin-darkened hearts and giving us eternal life. It is immediate. And John 1.4 tells us of Christ, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. There is no eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. And eternal life begins the very moment that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, it explains this a little bit more. It says that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What it's saying there, the Bible's telling us, is that the very moment we trust in Christ, God marks you off as his own. He stamps you. He seals you, it says, with the Holy Spirit of promise. The very moment you believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as the Son of God, Jesus, God, they mark you off as their own. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, and his work indwelling you is not complete until you're received into the glories of heaven. The spiritual man lives by the Spirit of God. We see him living by the Spirit of God. But secondly, notice the spiritual man learns from the Spirit of God. The spiritual man learns from the Spirit of God. Look at verses 12 and 13 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, now we received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The spiritual man learns from the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes to see and to understand things that we were previously blind to. Several key phrases uh, in, this, in these verses that we need to point out. In verse 12, he says, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God has given us everything we need for life, for godliness, but only the spiritual man, the spiritual man who is led by the Spirit of God can know these things because of the illumination that we receive from the Holy Spirit. The Lord reveals spiritual truths to our spirit. Our emotions play a role in this as well. 
but they depend upon what is revealed to our spirit through the Spirit of God. This is why we often pray that the Holy Spirit will guide our thoughts, that he'll guide our words, and that we allow his, his leadership to guide us. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to listen intently to the Holy Spirit and to do as he instructs. Some of us have so much noise in our human spirit from everything else going on in our lives around us that we're unable to discern between the voice of the Holy Spirit and all the noise of the chaos of life. We need to let the Holy Spirit lead us. I have to keep reminding myself of this truth even as I'm preaching. It's easy to fall into the tendency that I don't need to follow the Holy Spirit's leading and depend on him even while I'm preaching. Because after all, I'm preaching God's word and his truth. Isn't that enough? The reality of the situation is that I can preach the truth, but only the Holy Spirit can impart that truth. It is good to intellectually pursue the Bible and to fill your heads with as much of God's word as possible. But knowledge of God is never going to be enough. There are many people that are in hell right now who knew a whole lot about God while they were here on earth, but never believed on them in their hearts. There are plenty of people who are smarter than the Bible. So even though they know all that the Bible teaches, they don't believe it for themselves. So they reject the message of the gospel and thus never come to salvation. It's good to know as much as you can know about God, but only the Holy Spirit can help you understand all that God is and all that he has done for us. God uses the Holy Spirit to bring light to the human spirit. Notice third, the spiritual man is made free through the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 15 and 16 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The spiritual man is freed from the bondage of this world. He is able to see through all the deception that is in this world because the Spirit of God gives him discernment. Discernment. What a great quality to have and one that is often misunderstood. Discernment is not being able to tell the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is being able to tell the difference between what is right and what is almost right. Satan knows better than to try and tempt us with things that are universally accepted as wrong. He knows that. He'll appeal to us with something that is so close to being right. And without the Holy Spirit's discernment, we'll believe it to be right. The spiritual man, following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is able to discern between what is truly right and what is truly wrong. And see through all the deception of Satan and in the world. Where the natural man... A natural man is a slave to the mindset of the world. The spiritual man is set free from that worldly mindset. Again, it says, but he that is spiritual judges all things, and he himself is judged of no man. And as a result, the spiritual man, he's an enigma to the world. He himself, it says, is judged of no man. No one can figure out the spiritual man. They can't figure out why this guy is different. No one understands the level of insight and the level of knowledge that he possesses. No natural man can understand why the spiritual man is not motivated by the same things that the natural man is motivated by. Now we might say that the spiritual man marches to the beat of a different drum. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 1 through 4, the Bible states, it says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. In other words, what these verses are saying is that the natural man, the unsaved person, he looks upon the spiritual man, the now saved person, as a weirdo. What's wrong with this guy? Why is he so different? Why is he so weird? He's so odd. He used to drink. He used to swear. He used to live life to the fullest. And now I don't even recognize him. Praise the Lord. 
praise the Lord that he can take the most vulgar and the most obscene and wicked, nasty person and change him into a beautiful creation of God. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me of that. I was only four years old, but what a pill I was for my parents those first four years. I can't imagine if the Lord led me, allowed me to live another 10, 20 years before he saved me, what a mess I would have made of my life. I didn't want to think about what a mess I would have made of my life. We're hardly recognizable once we go from being natural to spiritual. The believer should be completely unrecognizable to the unbeliever because there is a night and day difference between us, or rather there is eternity that is different between us. Now we looked at the natural man, we looked at the spiritual man, and quickly let's look at the third, the carnal man. The cardinal man. It should be that you're thinking, well, there's only one or two possibilities here. How can it be a third classification? It's either you're saved or you're unsaved, right? Well, he gives us a third classification here, the carnal man. No one is in the process of being saved. Don't ever confuse that. There's no middle ground between being saved and being lost. The carnal man that Paul refers to here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 was once spiritual, but is no longer living according to the Spirit of God. These people are saved because you never lose your salvation. But these people are acting more like they're unsaved. Notice what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 1. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal even as unto babes in Christ. Paul says that he's incredibly discouraged as he's writing to these believers who should know better, who should be behaving better. These people are saved. But what a mess they're making of their lives. He calls them babes in Christ because like new believers, they know so little. The only problem with these people is that they weren't new believers. They've been saved for quite some time, but you wouldn't know it based on how they're conducting themselves in church, how they're living their lives, based on their knowledge and their behavior. They were talking and acting as if they only came to Christ and salvation yesterday, even though they'd been saved for years and they'd been sitting under biblical teaching for quite some time. The truth is that there are carnal believers in every single church. There are true believers who show up on Sundays and depend upon their pastor to spoon-feed them every little bit of knowledge and wisdom from God's Word. Because that is all they can tolerate. When a child doesn't develop because of physical reasons, the parents, they pour extra love, extra attention into that precious life. It is quite another matter, though, when a believer, for no reason at all, doesn't develop spiritually. It is sad when they have everything they need to fully be grown and to be maturing spiritually day by day. You want to know what a child does? Look at my son Levi. You know what he loves to do? He loves to put everything in his mouth, starting with his socks. There are far too many carnal Christians that are chewing on their socks instead of feasting on the word of God. We have everything we need. And yet because of stubbornness, because of ignorance, because of laziness, because of sin, we're still babes in Christ. It's one thing to be a child. It's another thing to be childish. Carnal Christians are dependent on everything. And notice what it says in verse 2. He says, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. I don't know about you, but when I have the opportunity to feast on a nice piece of filet mignon or to drink a glass of milk, it's a no-brainer. Doubly because I'm lactose intolerant. (laughs) But one is like a billion times better than the other. When it comes to getting filled, even if it's the lactose-free junk, I'm sorry, that is fake milk. I don't like it. Almond milk, I didn't know milk came from almonds. Steak, meat, prime rib, anything you can fire up on a grill, a million times better and going to offer you so much more sustenance and nourishment that your body actually needs. 
anyone's a vegetarian, come talk to me. I'll grill you up a nice burger. <laughs> Babies need milk to survive. That's all they can tolerate. They don't have teeth. They can't chew on things. But they grow. That milk nourishes their bodies. They grow to the point where their bodies need now more than milk. And they need more sustenance. They need meat. When the spiritual man is able to feast on the prime rib and the filet mignon and the cheeseburgers of life, of God's word, the carnal man is living only on a milk-only diet. And the sad part is the carnal man needs someone to even feed the milk to him. How long have you been saved? How long have you not known about what the word of God requires of you? And you're just now finding out? You've been in church this entire time. Your membership has is, is been on a membership list. Your name has been on that list for years. And you're just now finding out that God doesn't accept sin and wants to deal with it and it needs to go confessed. You're just now finding out that it's not good to be living a riotous life outside of this church. You're just now finding out that homosexuality is wrong, that adultery is wrong, that lying is a sin, and cheating in life is a sin, and all these things that God clearly speaks about being wrong. You're just now finding out? Why does it have to be told to you over and over again? Well, maybe it's because you fall into the classification that you dared not to admit. You hope that you could deny it all this time because you were thinking, well, I'm saved, so I have to be spiritual, right? I attend a good Bible-believing church. I even help out with VBS. I even help out with false tests. I even go out canvassing, so I must be in that spiritual classification. And now all of a sudden you're finding out, well, maybe there's something that's been missing. And maybe it's the fact that I'm not spiritual as I thought, but I'm actually carnal. Look again at verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Carnal Christians are often at the center of contention and strife and divisions in the church. Take a good hard look at yourself in the mirror. And if you're coming to church and you're always nitpicking, and you're looking for something to be critical about, it may be because you're not as spiritual as you thought. It may be because your classification labels you as a carnal Christian than anything else. Children are rarely concerned about major issues of life. And it's usually carnal Christians that are making mountains out of molehills. Rather than being concerned with the bigger matters of the faith, they're big babies arguing about the color of the carpet. They're arguing about the number of songs that we sing in a service, how long the message is, or any number of inconsequential matters. Paul tells the believers in Corinth that they need to get matters straight. Jump down to verses 21 to 23. 1 Corinthians 3. We'll end with this. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. There are three classifications of people, three categories of houses that were offering God to come and dwell in. Whatever category we find ourselves in today, the point is that we be eager to present God with the best house as possible. Whatever changes need to be made, may we deem Christ worthy of our best. If you're today sitting here and you found out that you are a natural man, there is no dwelling place for God in your life as a natural man. The one thing you can do to change that is to throw yourself at his mercy and to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to do it today. If you find yourself today classifying as, a, as the carnal man, and that may be a tough pill to swallow, know that there are changes that need to be made. Know that there are a lot of growing pains that you'll go through, but everything that you go through is going to be to your betterment. It's not going to happen overnight. 
just as a child doesn't mature overnight. A lot of growth will take place, but as you commit yourself to studying and to reading and applying yourself to God's word, God will bring that development, he'll bring that growth, he'll bring the increase. If you find yourself as a spiritual man today, know that it is never a time for us to gloat because you're only one step away from falling back into that carnal, that carnal mind. Just because we know quite a bit about God today or even a little about God today doesn't mean that we stop learning. Every one of us are a student of God's word and the learning process, it never ends. It never ends as long as we are here on earth. It continues to be something that we need to be feeding our souls with. Through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, may we grow in greater maturity and may we be increasing in our enjoyment that we have for Christ as we provide him the best possible house for our God and our Holy Spirit to dwell in. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to my heart today. Lord, we each struggle in different areas. There are things, Lord, that we're battling each day, each week, each month. And Lord, I pray that you would break us down of our pride and help us to realize, Lord, whatever house we may be trying to offer you. And Lord, if it is not a spiritual house, Lord, you're not going to want to take up residence. I ask, Lord, that you would help us, those that are under the teaching and those that are under the sound of my voice here this morning, that may fall into the natural man classification. Lord, that you would impress upon their hearts today their need for salvation. Lord, show them that apart from faith in Jesus Christ alone, there is no hope for heaven. There is no hope for, Lord, grace and glory. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to come to faith in you immediately. For the carnal minds, Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that the envying and the strife and the divisions among us and the issues that we're constantly looking for are so petty and they're only causing issues between us and the body of Christ. And Lord, that we need to grow and mature in the knowledge of you and that we need to apply ourselves to your service in a more diligent way for your glorification and not for our own. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the spiritual men and women that we need to be, to honor you in such a way that you are pleased with all that we do and say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.